becoming a more resilient writer. Recently, I have been reading and thinking quite a bit about resilience in academia. This has mostly, but not only, been prompted by my surprise at how difficult I found it to complete the corrections and final revisions of my book manuscript recently. The other prompts are next week's to post topic. For this post, I am focusing on resilience as a writer or scholar. Why was I so acutely plagued with self-doubt and so unable to even open files that contained feedback and notes on corrections? I consider myself to be a pretty rational, realistic, and resilient writer. So why was this all so very difficult when it should have been easy? And how or what can I take away from this on my path to becoming a more resilient writer? There are a few ways in which resilience is conceptualized or understood in academia specifically. The mainstream notion of resilience seems to be quite individualistic in the sense that we are each tasked with finding our own ways to become more resilient. In this sense, I think resilience is cast as self-reliance and independence. And as scholars, we must all be independent and self-reliant, able to motivate ourselves and sustain passion and interest in our work. As writers, we need to be able to create projects and see them through, writing every day or a few days of every week, whether we are alone or in a group, mostly online these days. If we cannot keep this all up, we feel shame and anxiety. What if I can't publish and thesis and be all independent like everyone else? Maybe I shouldn't be an academic? I see this understanding of resilience echoed in so many tweets from PhD students, MA students, and early career and precariously employed academics particularly. Firstly, everyone else, especially these days, is also anxious and stressed and struggling with these alone together, socially distanced, online or remote teaching, working and social lives. And even in non-pandemic times, there are probably very few people around you who are totally self-sustained and intrinsically motivated superstars who never waver or doubt or fall behind schedule or need help. Are there any academics like this? I doubt it. So we can actively start to let go of the shame, at least, and the pressure we may put on ourselves to be solely responsible for being superstars. Academia and success in this world, however you define that for yourself, is not a solo project. We need communities of students, peers, colleagues, even managers around us to create the environments in which we work and hopefully thrive. The problem is that academic institutions are part of the world, and the world is largely run by some version of neoliberalism which is highly individualistic and every person for themselves. We are told that we have to be independent and self-motivated and self-regulated to be successful and that relying on others for help and support is a weakness rather than a strength. Now, I know the whole concept of neoliberalism is complex and the debate about its effects in academia on staff and students and management is huge and complex too and I don't have space here to do that justice. But the basic trend is towards the self. You are responsible for finding ways to become resilient, and the system is not obliged to offer you help. You must fit the system, not the other way around. What we need, then, is to lift up and develop the more socially just, critical understanding of resilience, both what it is and how to build it. This is a more communal, systemic conceptualization, 
that holds that structures or systems, such as a doctoral studies program or a staff development program for early career researchers, need to actually be designed and maintained to help scholars. Researchers, writers, lecturers, supervisors become more resilient through being more rather than less linked into and connected with supportive systems. Asking individuals to become more resilient on their own or fall apart trying is probably why there is such an increase in peer-reviewed and more popular writing on wellness and mental health in academia and concerns that academics' mental well-being is under threat. How do we address resilience building as a community? How do we connect scholars with one another and create more supportive writing development within our universities? This is part of my work, my career, and something I am exploring in a new research project. Resilience is about emotional well-being and resources, as well as about mental and physical resources and well-being. I learned this again in doing the last round of corrections and revisions on my book manuscript. I had to fight feelings of self-doubt. The book is basically rubbish. Mayness, who cares, no one will read it anyway. Frustration, why didn't I see this the first 10 times I read it? I also had to battle against self-sabotage. I have many more far less important things to do first. And I had to wage these battles tired from teaching online, reduced sleep quality due to staring at a screen all day, kids at home and needing to be checked up on and helped with schoolwork, and general anxiety and stress about COVID and the world falling apart around us. The emotional toll of academic writing, reading, thinking, and all the associated processes of peer review, feedback, critique, revisions, rewriting, and so on cannot be underestimated, especially because we are all people with full-time lives outside of whatever work and studying we are engaged in. Add to my small story above that I have a nice house with a garden and space inside to work alone without much noise disturbing me, and that my kids are in high school, and that my husband is home and is a pretty supportive guy. What if I had been trying to do all this in a smaller flat or house with no outside space of my own? Preschoolers or kids in primary school needing a lot more hands-on homeschooling and no husband or partner to help me. Now, tell the first me and the second me that we need to have the same amount of resilience and strength to cope with day-to-day -day academic life and that the systems we work in are not obliged to be considerate of the differences in our situations and support structures. Women must publish as much as men, and if we cannot because we are bearing the brunt of the burden of having kids at home during lockdown and school closures, then we are clearly not prioritizing our work properly. Younger scholars must publish as much as they can so they compete for jobs in an oversupplied academic job market, and they are often encouraged to publish in paywall journals, limiting the reach and impact of their research. Postdocs are overworked and underpaid. Everyone is trying to work out how to teach and assess and supervise effectively and fairly online in environments with varying levels of internet access and familiarity with technological platforms and tools. And we must be very resilient in the face of all this, more so if we are women and or early career scholars and or black scholars or scholars with a disability and or scholars caring for children and or older parents or relatives. The system still values the free, unencumbered scholar who can live the life of the mind without pesky interruptions like parenthood, domestic labor, or finding money to pay the bills. I think the issue here is that academia as a system tries to pretend it is fair and offers the same opportunities to all. 
but when you cannot take up an opportunity because you are in contract and have no research funding, or because you have young kids you cannot leave, or because you don't have university leave due to your contract conditions, then who or what is really at fault here? You, because you had the same opportunities and you chose not to take them? Or a system that wants to pretend that everyone is equally able to work at the same pace and in the same ways and under the same conditions? Do those in positions of power over the money and the way the systems work change the systems to make the opportunities fairly available to all scholars? Or do they keep prioritizing those who don't have to worry about funding, who don't have to worry about making alternate care arrangements for kids and or elderly relatives to attend late afternoon or evening meetings or seminars, who don't have to figure out how to publish from a PhD or MA with little guidance or overt help, like a short course or publication mentoring? In general, the system keeps on keeping on. Some universities, like mine, are making changes towards creating a more equitable system. But on the whole, academia still asks us, as individuals, to work out how to live and work and teach and write and supervise and research and compete for funding in ways that are not necessarily systemically supported or enabled. We must be resilient in spite of the system as it is rather than because it creates more communal enabling environments in which to become and be scholars. And this is a problem. We can neither experience nor create socially just and equitable higher or further education opportunities if universities continue to put the onus onto individual scholars to become and be resilient in the face of mounting pressures and demands with little commensurate support and recognition. This is not a sustainable situation, as so many early career scholars and precariously employed academics can attest at the very least. We have to do better. Universities have the power to change, to behave less like profit-making corporations and more like organizations involved in nurturing, supporting and educating people. The mission and vision needs to be about an ethic of care and social justice, and it needs to start with the system itself, as well as with the individuals within it. Of course, I am responsible for how I set up my work week and plan my time so that I can meet the work commitments I make to peers, students, colleagues. But as a lecturer, I can acknowledge that my students have complicated lives too, and I can make adjustments to my expectations and teaching plans so that they feel that this is recognized. I can encourage them to create and sustain peer groups and make relying on and assisting their peers normal and not a sign that they are not being proper students. As a supervisor, I can offer feedback to my students in ways that encourage and challenge rather than demean and hurt them. As a mentor and colleague, I can make my own failures and struggles more visible and share with students and peers how I draw on my own individual and communal resources to overcome these, learn from them, and move forward. Instead of hiding all of the work that goes into doing what I do, which I'm told makes me seem like I am super resilient and organized and sorted, I can make this more visible, more open to those around me, especially students. What do we have to lose in doing more of this, in being more human and connected and supportive of ourselves and others? I think that this probably takes courage, especially in a system that associates failure with shame and anxiety, and it is not easy. It is so much easier in many ways to pretend that everything is fine and that I'm fine and that I don't need help. But I do, maybe more now than I ever have. 
And I'm getting better at not over-apologizing and shaming myself for missing a deadline or needing more time or more help or more consideration. And I feel better. I feel less anxious and stressed and unable to cope. But becoming more resilient is a process and it is not linear. New and different projects create different needs and stresses and trigger different kinds of doubt and struggle. I do know that I cannot do this alone. And I am grateful for my communities and for their offers of help and support. Getting better at accepting them is one way I am becoming a more resilient writer and scholar, as is learning all the time how to be kind to myself as I walk this path.